Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio this week from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser and Simon Erickson, and from Motley Fool Deep Value, Mr. Ron Gross. Good to see you as always, gentlemen. Hey. Hello, Chris. How you Earnings Palooza rolls on. We've got the latest results from Wall Street. Columnist Morgan Housel is our guest this week, and as always, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. But before we dig into these companies, guys, let's just go around the table real quick. How do you approach any given company's earnings, what is it that you're looking for? Jason Moser, I'll start with you. So, two things I'm looking for. Number one is management doing what they say they're going to do, and are they meeting the expectations that they set out for themselves? I'm not nearly as concerned with the expectations that Wall Street tends to have, because they are far more uh, short-term in nature and, and I don't think they're uh, nearly as, as you know connected to the business as, as management is, and so those are the two things I really focus on. So I have a quick question about that. How important is listening to the conference call to figure that out? Can you get it from the press release? No, I don't. Well, you can get a vibe, I guess, is the best way to put it from the press release. But I do think the calls are a uh, a wonderful source. Now, with that said, I think the question and answer. Uh, portion of the calls, I find those to be useless 90, 95% of the time. That's Except fair. when it gets a little chippy. And then, <laughs> and then it's, it's fun. Chippy. Then and it's, it's entertaining. Fun. Simon, what do you look for? Chris, I'm looking for the underappreciated story. You know, If you go five to six paragraphs into the results and find the hidden gem in there that really tells how this business is performing, uh, if you're a fan of the conference calls, maybe midway through the prepared remarks. But that, that's the thing that I'm always looking for for these businesses. Ron? For me, it's if the if the financial results and and even more important the future guidance are those two things directionally in line with my thinking about the stock, and if they're not, then I need to go back and rethink my valuation. And it could be higher, it could be lower, but it it um, really requires some rethinking. So even if a company lowers their guidance, that that may be in line with your thinking. It perhaps could be, and if it's one quarter, I might not even get bent out of shape either way. If something changes about the business to cause a shift in their guidance or it's a full-year change, that gets a little bit more serious. All right. Well, let's start with the biggest public company out there. Apple's second quarter profits rose 33%, and Ron, the revenue in China up 71%. Holy yeah, cow. Yeah. China definitely strong. iPhone, um, a big deal there. Um, iPhone in general unit sales up 40%. They sold 61 million of those little guys. Uh, actually, those big guys, I guess. <laughs> um, and average selling prices were up 10% as well, which are really nice to see. Uh, Foreign currency hurt them. What's new? Foreign currency is hurting everyone. That's going to continue probably for a while. Uh, but their gross margins were, were, were strong nonetheless. Uh, the one area of weakness was iPads, um, down 23%, sort of being cannibalized by the larger iPhones that are available now. Um, but overall, the company is doing a really wonderful job. Continue to execute. The Apple Watch is the newest thing. Kind of too early to tell. Not knocking the cover off the ball, it would appear. And they've had some issues um, with some defects that they have to fix. Um, but overall, doing great. Increase their dividend 11%. Increase their share repurchase program by $50 billion, Returning lots of money to shareholders. Everything looks great. Yeah, what about that share buyback? Do we, I mean, in the past, we've dinged some companies for deciding to buy back their stock when it's at or near an all time high. Do we ding Apple for this, or do they just have so much cash that it doesn't even matter? 
I would rather see a big one-time dividend or an even higher dividend than them buying stock back at these levels. But it's it's not a horrible decision. It's just it's a preference that I'd like the money. One thing I did want to mention that they are um, in the situation here where they're um, being investigated by the European Commission for their tax situation in Ireland. It could result in a pretty hefty fine. Um, I've seen some estimates as much as two and a half billion dollars that they could be forced to pay back taxes for the last ten years in Ireland. What does that translate to? Maybe forty cents per share for the stock stock price. So nothing to freak out about. But I did want to mention. Yeah, that. I think Apple has two and a half billion in Tim Cook's couch. <laughs> <laughs> I saw an interesting article real quick here on the Consumerist today that apparently it looks like Tattoo Inc. is causing some problems with the sensors in the Apple Watch. So for all you kids out there thinking about getting a wrist tattoo, oh, interesting. You might want to think twice. Twitter's first quarter revenue is up 74% from a year ago. That was still lower than expected, and shares of Twitter down more than 25% this week. This is one of those stocks, Jason, this is not for the faint of heart. It is not. And I've said time and time again, it's one where if you can't take a five-year outlook at least, then you shouldn't even bother investing in it, to be honest with you. Uh, I think the biggest challenge that Twitter faces today is that they're just tr- they're, there is a tremendous amount of uncertain, uncertainty in, in how well they're going to be able to monetize their ad platform. And I mean, that, that uncertainty is warranted. I mean, when you look at something like Facebook that has you know, 1.5 billion sets of eyeballs, it makes Twitter's 302 million uh, you know, seem pretty small. Uh, the move to mobile has been very challenging. It's a smaller screen. You got to get more bang for your buck. And I think that Twitter's working on trying to figure out how to do that. Uh, we saw the acquisition of Telepart to bring more direct marketing uh, expertise under the roof. The partnership with Google DoubleClick platform will bring more transparency to ad performance. And I think that the, the new search deal between Twitter and Google, which uh, starts in May, uh, should help bring more traffic to the site as well. You know, there's no question. CEO Costello is is on the he's on the hot seat, and I mean, he really needs to to change sort of the narrative uh, here over the coming quarters, or, or else he he could find himself in a situation. And it remains to be seen, really, whether Twitter's better off on its own or or part of something bigger like Google, for example. Do you think that uh, the 25 percent drop represents a buying opportunity? I you know I do. I mean, I think it's always one that when when you know fifty dollars plus it was it was unreasonably priced. I thought it was uh, you know. They just didn't have the record to really back that up. But whenever I see that stock sort of creeping back below $40, I mean, there is plenty of value in this platform. It's not something that's just going to disappear. But uh, I think that if you don't own shares and you're looking to open a position in Twitter, now is probably not a bad time because the pessimism is sure high. Baidu's first quarter profit came in higher than expected, but the revenue was a little light, Simon. Uh, So was their guidance for the second quarter. Shares of the Chinese search engine giant down about 10% this week. What did you make of the quarter? Well, I agree with you, Chris. This was a little bit slower than the normal for the for the reported results. We saw revenue, like you said, up 34%, but it was up 30 I'm sorry, 48% the quarter before that. And the number of advertising customers is about flat quarter over quarter. So I think the street, you know, what wasn't it wasn't so wrong for them to, to punish the stock on this. But there's a bigger trend we, we I think we should be following as investors, and that's the shift from desktop to mobile. And Baidu is the undisputed leader in in mobile, especially in China. Uh, Mobile now accounts for more than 50% of the company's revenue. And they're really focusing on, rather than just searching for something in their searches, um, actually making transactions that occur out of that. They're calling this O2O, online to offline. You buy something online, but the service is is actually delivered um, off 
lines like movie tickets, food delivery, stuff like this. And there's a lot of huge opportunities for country that has 1.4 billion people for Biden to connect with. Well, and uh, you alluded to this. I mean, the stock performance to this point, I mean, this was kind of a lofty stock. So, taking a 10% haircut, probably not all that unreasonable. LinkedIn getting hammered on Friday after first quarter results. Shares of the business networking site down 20% after the company cut their guidance for the second quarter and, for that matter, Jason, for the rest of the fiscal year. Is it really that bad or is this an overreaction? I don't think it's really that bad. I think the business continues to do uh, what they what they've told us we're going to do. You know, I mentioned that's what I'm looking for is, is for management to, to do what they say they're going to do, and that's what we get here with LinkedIn. Um, I mean, this is an expectations reaction to a stock that literally was priced for perfection, and, and so I mean, when you have that situation, they miss guidance or they 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 revise downward. I mean, the sell off is imminent. It's just going to happen, and, and I think that uh, you know, in, in in this case. I understand why why sort of uh, you know shorter shorter term investors don't really want to have anything to do with it, but but I think that there are a lot of positives to take away from the quarter. I mean, members are up to 364 million, uh, engagement is up. They're closing in on 35,000 corporate solutions customers. They're they're bringing this huge acquisition of Lynda.com into play here, and that's going to cost them a little money in in you know in the short run. Uh, but I remain convinced, particularly after hearing from our man behind the glass, Steve Broido, uh, in, in his opinion of Lynda.com, I think this is going to be a really nice integration to a to a business that is is really focused on on building something uh, over the long run. Here, the management is keeping that that long term perspective there, and I like that. Yeah, I really like the company too. From a valuation perspective, I think everyone needs to realize though what you're what you're getting here. It's still a, about a twenty five billion dollar company even after the sell off, and in uh, last year, if if you're liberal about their income, they made about two hundred and fifty million. So you're still paying about a hundred times their twenty fourteen earnings if you become an owner of this stock. They need to grow quite a bit for many 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 years to come to grow into a valuation of that size. I'm not saying they can't do it, but you have to be aware if you're going to be become a shareholder. Yeah, lynda.com, the online content site, they bought it for about $1.5 billion. Steve Broido, uh, you've taken some of their uh, online courses at lynda.com, haven't you? Yeah, it's great. It's a terrific place to learn about Photoshop or editing and all sorts of different things. And they're branching out to broader things. Someone just talked to me about a personal finance thing they're offering. Simon, what did you make of the quarter? Hey, Chris, the underappreciated story, I think, for LinkedIn that I, that I caught out of the conference call was that there's now 3.5 million jobs posted directly on the site. LinkedIn, um, its previous largest acquisition before Linda was a company called Bright, which was kind of connecting um, members to the, the job opportunities. They can now do that directly on the site, and it's bringing a ton of, of traffic. The number of job applications submitted over LinkedIn directly is up 50% over last year. number of job listings on LinkedIn is up tenfold. Well, and Jason, we've talked about this before. Unlike Twitter, LinkedIn actually a profitable business. Well, a profitable business, and they have a number of different revenue streams, which I think is really important. That's something I think it'll be crucially important for Twitter is to figure out how to you know diversify their revenue stream. But yeah, with LinkedIn, you know, they have a number of different ways that they make money. And I think to Ron's point, he makes a very good point here in that investors looking at a sell-off like this don't make the automatic leap that oh wow the stock's twenty percent down this is an automatic buying opportunity because make no mistake this is still an expensive stock even with the sell-off. So you know it, give it some time. You know don't don't just feel like it's an automatic reason to back up the truck. Coming up, one company learns that when Uncle Sam comes knocking at your door, it's not to give you candy and flowers. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. 
Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Simon Erickson, and Ron Gross. This week, shares of lumber liquidators hit their lowest point in three years. They reported a loss for the first quarter. And the U.S. Department of Justice has advised lumber liquidators it is seeking criminal charges against the company. Uh, Ron, they say it's going to cost What's about. Point? They say it's going to cost about ten million dollars in legal we, costs. We have two separate problems going on here. The first is they've been attacked by short sellers for high levels of formaldehyde. They de- deny that. And the second is the sourcing of illegal wood. That's the ten million dollar problem. Hundred and three million class. Hundred three million. Hundred and three class action lawsuits against them currently. Is the brand permanently impaired? What will the investigation show? Very hard to tell. Um, I would uh, suggest that one other problem they have is their longtime CFO has uh, picked this time to say that he's leaving. <laughs> I actually don't think it was his choice. Now, we don't know that. That is my, a speculation. I think this is, there's just been too many things that have been going on at this company, and negative things, and it was time for somebody to go. Um, is it possible he just was like, I have to leave? Sure it is. That's not my guess, though. I think a big challenge these guys are going to face for some time to come is if you just do a Google search for lumber liquidators, just go, go five, six headlines down, and you, you're going to click off, and you're not going to want to you know, you're not going to want to get your flooring from them. I mean, they're going to have, I think, a, a litany of, of bad press from this for some time to come. And I think that'll be a challenge. Yeah, two things. Um, uh, our Hidden Gems service, Seth, Seth Jason over at Hidden Gems, has done a lot of work here. He actually believes that um, the claims are not credible, the formaldehyde claims, and that they're going to be proven to be compliant. So if that happens, the stock will actually, you know, shoot to the moon. The other thing I want to say is that Lowe's, uh, the short seller this week, uh, said Lowe's was also guilty of high formaldehyde levels, and of course Lowe's is denying that as well. Fourth quarter profits for the container store came in lower than a year ago, stock down around 15% this week. And Jason, it is now trading below its original IPO price. Well, Chris, the good news is that at least the formaldehyde levels in the container store's <laughs> containers is perfectly acceptable at this point as in time. As far as you know. As far as I know. Um, but you would you would look at the stock price and probably think differently. And, you know, I, I don't know that this is a company that really probably should be public. I don't think they really had a whole heck of a lot of the choice in doing so, but they just... You know, they, they face obviously a challenge, a challenging time right now with a consumer that is not exactly as free spending as they'd probably like to see, a housing market that is recovering, you know, relatively slowly, and uh, and and you know they they sell big ticket items. I mean, their their contained home offerings average a ticket size of two thousand dollars. The new TCS closet offering is an average ticket size of ten thousand dollars. So they're introducing a financing wing to the business to help their consumers pay for that. It doesn't generate a tremendous amount of repeat sales, and there are other options out there. So, you know, it's I don't know I don't know that there is really a catalyst that takes this thing back in the other direction anytime soon. It's a wonderful wonderful company from the perspective that management has developed a wonderful culture. They do one thing and do it very well. I mean, certainly their containers are a popular offering for the customers that use them. It's just you know it's a difficult one to see really a big enough market opportunity to to get interested for me at least as an investment. Well, and and this isn't. anything that really shows up on any company's balance sheet. But when you look at the environment that any given business is operating in, the container store is struggling at a time when the economy in the United States is largely a good one. Just like we were talking earlier about Twitter, I think part of what's hurting Twitter is not just whatever shows up on the balance sheet, but the fact that it comes against the backdrop of a business world that is spending more and more money online to advertise. So it's not just, wow, you're not really getting it done. It's you're getting it done 
when times should be really good. Yep, and that's that's you know one of those things that they have to look at and say, well, how do we battle that? I'm not sure really that opening additional stores in the face of flatlining sales is the answer there, but you know that remains to be seen. Last year, Yelp recorded its first annual profit as a public company. Uh, but this week, Wall Street gave the stock a bad review after Yelp posted a loss for the first quarter. Uh, also, another situation, Simon, where the guidance was weak as well. Yelp, whimper, cry. <laughs> Ooh, tough quarter for these guys, I think. The lifeblood of this business, Chris, is the mobile visitors, which you know has always been kind of the, the story behind Yelp. We're starting to see that slow down. You know, two quarters ago, they saw a 46% increase in mobile visitors. One quarter ago, that's down to 37%, and then this quarter is down to 29%. So less people are coming to Yelp over mobile. But there's a bigger red flag, I think, you know, tucked within this story, and that is the reliance that Yelp has on Google. Uh, they still uh, derive the majority of traffic from Google searches, but Google's got their own local advertising and Google Plus ads. So this is becoming kind of a hot uh, a point of contention here. Google has now changed their, their mobile search algorithms for this last month. That could be an opportunity for Yelp. It could also be a killer for Yelp. I think there's further pain to come. Well, and we've talked before about the price of oil coming down, and, and are we going to see, and are we likely to see more sort of mergers and acquisitions in the energy industry over this year? But, uh, I mean, just look at the companies we've talked about this week with Twitter, with Yelp. It's, I'm wondering if we should start looking at social media companies the way some of them are getting hit and think, ask ourselves, are we going to start seeing some mergers and acquisitions? Because Yelp if Yelp has a couple more quarters like this, someone's going to swoop in and buy it. I wonder if it would be Yahoo if they would have an interest. Is, you know, the, the value would have to come down a bit, I think, for for Yahoo to be interested in spending that kind of money. But it's been it's been talked about in the past. Yeah, I think there's no question we'll see more consolidation, and it's one where I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Google make an offer for Twitter at some point because you know Google Plus hasn't really worked out so well for them, and they need some sort of a social presence to remain relevant. Twitter would be, you know, an easy, easy way, you know, to accomplish that. But you know, to Ron's point, that would be another big acquisition. Well, Granted, Google could fund it. Well, let's bring in our man Steve Broido in from the other side of the glass. Steve, uh, I, I know you're a restaurateur. Um, do you write reviews on Yelp, and uh, you know, or do you use Yelp to, when you're looking for? Something other than the Olive Garden. I generally don't. I'll, Is there I'll look anything? at Yelp a little bit here and there. It's it's hard to make sense of it. I, I remember there being a bit of a scandal about Yelp being, uh, you know, if people were being charged to or allegedly being charged to write positive things or remove negative things or something like that. So I don't know. I don't know if I can trust Yelp. It's pretty astonishing that that's where their traffic is coming from, Simon, that it's Google. It's because Yelp, that's not that hard to just type into your search bar. And, and I mean, they're getting sued right now in Europe right now. Google's got a 90% share, and they've been accused of promoting their own sites on top of others for that organic search. Just it's a legal battle. I don't like to see stuff like that. All right. Ron Gross, Simon Erickson, Jason Moser. Guys, we'll see you a little bit later in the show. Morgan Housel is next. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Molly Full Money. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, it's my favorite financial columnist, Morgan Housel. Thanks for being here. Thanks for you being my favorite financial <laughs> reader. Um, I want to get to some of the stuff you've been writing about, but let's let's start with earnings season. We're in the thick of earnings season, 
And, you know, it's it's reminds me of the classic Clint Eastwood movie. There's some good, there's some bad, and there's definitely some ugly out there. What, if anything, has stood out to you so far this earnings season? Well, I think what's pretty... What's interesting is that you know during during the long run, earnings are what drives stocks. That's what's going to push stocks higher. Uh, but we've had pretty bad earnings, not just this quarter, but maybe for the last year. Uh, and and the market as a whole, at least, doesn't really seem to mind that much. Um, which to me it, it brings to the the second more important point is that as an investor, I think quarterly earnings. Uh, in any individual case, are largely useless. It's great that companies are transparent about what they're doing and report, here's what we've, we've done. But if you think about quarterly earnings as this is a 90-day snapshot uh, on a company that is maybe 50 or 100 years old, and you're an investor who's going to be investing for the next, let's hope, 10 or 20 or 30 years, when you put it in that context, it really shows, I think, how not relevant quarterly earnings are. But a lot of investors take them very seriously. And how should I trade around earnings? Should I buy? Should I sell? Earnings disappointed? Is this bad? Is this a sign of things to come? To me, I, I think it falls pretty heavily in the noise category. And there, there's sometimes for some companies, of course, you get really important news coming out of quarterly earnings that is relevant and groundbreaking. But I think for the most part, quarterly earnings are something that individual investors should probably not pay that much attention to. You alluded to the age of some of the companies out there in the public market. As an investor, I know you don't do a lot of, of trading. You're, you're pretty meticulous when it comes to buying or selling stocks. Does the age of a company, does the history of a business factor into your decision, or is it more about the market opportunity for whatever industry a company is in? So, you asked, does the age of companies play any role? I think for me, it does. I really want established businesses where you can look back at not just a two or three year history, but a two or three decade history to see how this company has progressed, to see how management runs the company, to see how loyal its customers are. Uh, That's important to me. There are a lot of investors that do things differently that really don't look at the past much at all, or really just focus on what's coming next. But to me, I think for businesses, um, you know, what they've done in the past is not uh, not necessarily a good indication of the future, but I think it's one of the best indications that we have. When it comes to headline writers, it seems that what has worked in the past uh, continues to work in the present and presumably again in the future, because you had written something recently about the phrase, the easy money's been made. Yeah. And it's one of those things that I hadn't really focused on until I read your article. And what is it about that proclamation that that so many analysts seem willing to make that comment? I think when the market is rising, as it has done for the last six years, it's really tempting to look back and say, okay, the past gains, those were obviously going to occur. That was easy money. A monkey could have gotten those. Anyone could have done that. Everyone knew the market was going to go up. But going forward, starting today, you have to be tactical and smart and a genius. And I just think it's a it's a crazy quote that people use. But a lot of really smart investors and reputable investing publications use this phrase. And I really just think it goes to show how powerful hindsight bias can be. That someone today can look back at the last six years and say that was easy money that of course the market was going to go up like it did for the past six years. Because you can go back to all sorts of headlines or book titles from the past six years and see just how utterly scared people were for the entire six-year period. Every year since 2009, every week, every month, there has been a big, ugly news headline that could have scared you into selling stocks, whether it was the European debt crisis or 
uh, the United States' credit rating got downgraded. We had a government shutdown in 2013. Earnings have been supposedly about to, you know, on the cusp of falling. Stock valuations since 2009 have apparently showed that the market is way overvalued. There's always a good reason to sell stocks. And they've all been wrong so far, but it, people forget that. They forget how scared they were in the past. And just because the market has done so well over the last six years, they look back and think that it was all obvious. And I think it's a really dangerous mindset. And with the calendar turning to May, we'll just get ready for a whole fresh round of Sell in May and go away. Yes. The the best response to that was from our friend Josh Brown, who at around this time last year he tweeted sell your house in May and buy it back in June. And of course, that sounds so ridiculous. No one would ever do that. It sounds absurd if you said that, but people do the same thing with stocks. And it makes as little sense for stocks as it does your house. You mentioned the run that the market has had. We are in what? We're in the sixth year of a bull market, which means the next bear market maybe is closer. I don't know. Based on what you've written recently, it seems like you're, you're rooting for it a little bit. Well, I think I'm always rooting for a bear market because I'm a I'm a long-term investor and I'm going to be around. I'm going to be investing, uh, you know, for the next uh, 30, 40, 50 years, maybe longer than that. So if you are in that situation, you should want stock prices to go down because the lower stock prices go down now, both the higher the odds that stocks are going to go up in the future and the higher those returns will actually be. Very, it's very difficult to think about to think that way. Even for me, it's that's it's counterintuitive that what what makes sense on paper, which is that you want stocks to go down, uh, goes heavily against your intuitive feelings of, of course, we want the market to go up because that feels good. You get to see your your wealth rising and whatnot. But if the ultimate goal for people is retirement, which is some number of years in the future, you should absolutely want stocks to go down today. So I showed in this in, in this report. Uh, so over the last 140 years, in every five-year period, on average, there's an 80% chance that stocks will rise in, in any given five-year period, 80% chance. What I looked at is, okay, after stocks have fallen, what happens to those odds? And it turns out that if stocks have just declined, the odds of earning money over the next five years go up substantially to where uh, you know, if stocks have fallen 20%, there's about a 90% chance that they'll make money over the next five years. And if stocks have fallen 40%, there's no historical precedent over the last four, uh, 140 years that they won't increase over the next five years. So that's all some technical stuff. But it, the, the, the big point is when stocks fall, that's when the odds increase that you're going to do well in the future. And vice versa, after stocks have had a big boom, that's when the odds of success that you're going to do well over the next five years go down. So, so if you're a long-term investor, so yeah, you could look at us right now and say we've had a six-year rally. What does that mean going forward? Well, it, it really could mean anything. I, I'm not calling a top here by any means. There's, you know, it's well within the possibility that stocks could keep going up for another five years. But it's definitely that the odds of success going forward today are lower than they were several years ago. You've got to fight against human nature. Obviously, we, we've seen this time and again when the market drops, and it, it is human nature to say, uh, you know what, I'm going to pull my money out, or I'm certainly not going to put more money back in. So, investors have to fight against that. They also have to fight against advice they get or read from different people. Uh, one recently from, from someone that I think you, you respect, uh, James Altshuler, who recently uh, did a video, I'm assuming it was aimed at younger yeah. People, millennials, young adults, saying, 
whatever you do, just pull your money out of your 401k plan. Yeah. You, you seem to take issue with this. Well, I really <laughs> like James Altcher as a writer. I think he's a brilliant guy. He's an incredibly good writer. Uh, and he did a, a video with Business Insider arguing that young young workers should not invest in 401ks. And I thought it was, I thought it was not bad advice, but dangerously bad advice. Uh, and the arguments that he used to say why people should not invest in 401ks, I thought were 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 pretty wrong. So he said, for example, that if you invest in a 401k, you you don't know where your money's going. That it's uh, you know, uh, sort of like a black box, and to show that that's not really true. If you're if you are investing in a 401k, your company and the financial companies that you, that your employer invests with, they have an obligation to show you exactly where your money is going, both what funds you're investing in and the individual securities that those funds own. You as as a worker have a right to see all that information. Your employer is also legally required to offer you a diverse set of investment choices. And you, the worker, have a legal right to get to choose where that money goes into, and also that you get to change that allocation at least every quarter. And look, there are a lot of companies that offer subpar investment choices in their 401k. By no means is it perfect. But the upside that you get from a 401k, both from the employer match that most plans offer and the tax deferment that you can get, especially if you're young, as this video was targeted at, those can will more than offset the injustices of the fund industry that get put in higher fees or subpar investment uh, choices. The benefits that you get from a 401k are, fen- are, are, are really phenomenal. And I think it's especially important for young workers today because... A, they have a long life expectancy. They're probably going to live well into their 90s. And they can't necessarily rely on Social Security or private pensions to get them there. So they're really going to be self-reliant to fund their retirement. And the biggest pillar in that uh, in that self-funding is going to be their 401k. So I think to give advice that people should not use their 401k is, is dangerous. Well, and as you said, particularly when there's a match involved. which is Right, just it's just free money on the Free table. money. So, you know, for, for some employees, that, that, that can be... Uh, you know, that can be a 50% return right from the get-go, boom. And then to argue about a fund management fee that is half of 1%, when you just earned a 50% risk-free return from the match, I think it's kind of silly. It's just an example that the benefits far outweigh whatever the problems are. Before I let you go, you're among the more voracious readers I know as we get ready to head into summer. And hope springs eternal for people like me that I'll actually get to sit on a beach and and read a book. Give me a recommendation or two. Uh, Hank Paulson, who used to be the CEO of Goldman Sachs, and then he was Secretary of the Treasury during the financial crisis, he just wrote a book on China that's really good. It's called called China. I just looked at the book. The book is called China. So when Hank Paulson was CEO of Goldman Sachs, he visited China a hundred times. Uh, which I found pretty incredible, but he he was fascinated with the country at, from a business standpoint, doing business in China, and he has really an insider's perspective into how business in China operates, both where they've come from, where they are now, and where they're heading next. It's a very, very good book. Um, a non-business book that I really enjoyed. Uh, it's from uh, an earth scientist named Vaclav Smil, and I got this recommendation from Bill Gates's blog, actually, who recommended it as well. The book is called Should We Eat Meat? And I would ask you to withhold judgment because he does not judge whether you should or shouldn't. It's just a scientific look at 
uh, how humans eat meat, both how it's raised, what that does to the environment, what it does for nutrition, both good and bad. It's just a really fascinating look, how different cultures consume meat differently. And there's really no judging in the book either way. It's a scientific look at it, and it's just fascinating. You can read him on Fool.com. Occasionally, he pops up in the Wall Street Journal. And you can get him here on Motley Fool Money. Morgan Housel, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Coming up, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. I don't have... As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio once again, Jason Moser, Simon Erickson, and Ron Gross. Uh, guys, a couple of things to get to before we get to the stocks on our radar. This weekend is the Berkshire Hathaway Annual Meeting, and we've got a free ebook, Advice from the Oracle, 50 Warren Buffett Quotes That Will Make You a Better Investor. It's free. And all you have to do to get it is just drop an email to warren at fool.com. That's warren at fool.com. Drop us an email, and we will send you the book. Uh, we also got an email this week from longtime listener Peter McLaren uh, from Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. I'm 36 years old and started investing about five years ago. At the time, I subscribed to several services, one of which was the Motley Fool service. I initially did well with gold and silver and left equities alone. Then, with the fall of gold and silver, I lost all my profits. I tried many different tactics, from day trading to trailing stop losses, all while I had forgotten about The Motley Fool. Recently, I found my old portfolio that I started with recommendations from The Motley Fool. There were 10 stocks in it. One was down 80%, but despite that, the overall portfolio was up 74%. I had my eureka moment. In the last six months, I've listened to every Motley Fool podcast and read the stock news online nearly every day. I've subscribed to Motley Fool Stock Advisor, and I'm reconstructing my portfolio. Sometimes you need to make your own mistakes before you know the right thing to do. And now I see that my experiences have led me full circle and to fall in line with the Motley Fool's principles. The only way for an individual investor to make money is to follow your rules of long-term investing. Thanks, and keep up the good work. Nice. A really great note. And once again, I don't think anyone would would um, have any problem with someone having that kind of bad experience with investing and then just sort of swearing off sure. investing in general. So the fact that he kept at it and, and found a way to succeed is wonderful. I, I'm so moved by that. I think I'll head over to Cabo and <laughs> yeah. congratulate him personally. <laughs> exactly. But his point there in learning from his mistakes, I think, is tremendous. You and I talked about that the other day when we were talking about kids and investing. I mean, sometimes those mistakes are what really can can sort of net you out as as being a better investor. So you know, wonderful email. Wow, thanks a lot. Uh, one. Uh, thing we like to do at The Motley Fool is look at trends and how we can profit from them. Here's a trend uh, that came up this week. Gartner Research predicts that by the year 2025, one-third of jobs will be replaced by software, robots, and smart machines. Uh-oh. Not, not radio shows, though. Hopefully yeah, not. Hopefully not. But uh, Steve Broido, do you, do you have a job or a responsibility maybe around the house that you'd be happy to hand over to a robot? I would say vacuuming, but I'm not a fan of that little Roomba thing. It doesn't seem to get in, you know, clean enough. I I like the big vacuum still. So vacuuming would be on. The so list if they though. came up with a bigger Roomba, you'd a better be... Roomba with more suction and better <laughs> cleaning power. I cannot get my son to take out the garbage, so I'm I'm turned into a robot. You want a robot to replace yeah, your yeah, son? Yeah, well, not just for the garbage <laughs> part. The garbage. All right, let's get to the stocks that are on our radar this week. And Steve Broido will hit you with a question. Ron Gross, you're up first. What are you looking at, Steve? At the risk of sounding like a broken record. I must go back to Horsehead Holdings. 
Zinc, Z-I-N-C. And that's because it's my number one recommendation right now, and I need to share this with our listeners. Um, the price of zinc, the commodity, has rallied about 12% over the last 30 days as mines have closed and the supply of zinc has dwindled. That bodes really, really well for Horsehead. That, combined with some really great moves they're making within the company, makes this look really cheap to me. The stock's around 1450 I think it's worth 2150 at a minimum. That's 50% upside. They report um, on May 8th. If there's anything bad there and we get any kind of sell-off, it's probably a really good time to, to initiate a position. Steve, question about Horsehead Holdings? Well, we just heard an email about how gold and silver investing didn't work out so well. Precious <laughs> metals, Ron, what do you think? So the problem with something like gold is that there really isn't an industrial use for it. We, As Warren Buffett likes to say, we dig it out of the ground and we put it into a vault, and that that's all it does. There's no cash flow associated with it. Zinc, on the other hand, is very useful, mostly in the galvanizing of steel. It's highly used in construction. And, and industrial uses. So um, it's not really a precious metal in that sense. It's an industrial metal. Simon Erickson, what are you looking at? Chris, the stock on my radar is FireEye. Ticker is F-E-Y-E. We keep hearing news stories about these companies getting hacked. You know, Home Depot, Target, even Sony Pictures. And I think network security is growing in incredibly uh, in importance in the world. In fact, there's estimates that there's nearly $500 billion a year of lost profits from cybercrime each year. FireEye is a provider of network security. Um, we've seen that they're really just growing at an incredible pace right now. Revenue is up 12-fold during the last three years, and I think that best-in-class supplier in this field gets the lion's shares of the profits. Steve, question about FireEye? Was there a 60-minute story about FireEye? I believe there was, and it was very compelling, uh, very interesting stuff. So my question for you is, uh, security, I mean, the, the point of this story was that exactly what you're saying. Uh, should we be looking more closely at, are these guys at the leading edge of this, or is it just waiting for a few other people to come in who are just a little bit smarter than they are? Well, I think I think that, well, first of all, I heard that that story was on fire, Steve, as I think you pointed it out. <laughs> I think that, you know, again, using sales as a proxy for quality, I think you don't need multiple security providers. You're going to go for the best in class out there. And that's what we're trying to figure out. It's on our watch list for MDP right now. These are the guys who are going to be the win in the long run. Jason, what do you got? Sure thing. One I've been digging through is actually surprised to see that it's not a recommendation in any of our services is Taser, T-A-S-R. Uh, you probably know them best for making actual tasers, the electronic uh, sort of weapons that uh, you know, police forces and private security and whatnot use. But um, I think that you know this is a company that is starting to benefit from this, uh, really, the trend where we're seeing more and more law enforcement uh, around the world, or yeah, around the world, really, because this is a global company, are going to be required to carry video uh, capability in some capacity or other. Taser is by far and away the market leader uh, in this space. Uh, sales uh, last quarter as a percentage of total revenue, uh, video equipment made up about 7, 7.5% uh, versus about 1.5% of the previous year. Sales have doubled since 2010. You have a co-founder, and Patrick Smith is the CEO of the company. And uh, they offer these all-encompassing plans that, that give these forces the hardware, software, and the data storage capability, uh, which I think could afford them some pricing power in the future. So, there you go. Steve? Looks like the stock's where it was in about 2004. Should that worry me, yes or no? Uh, no, actually, I think that's very encouraging because of the future prospects. All right, Jason Moser, Ron Gross, Simon Erickson. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Motley Fool Money. We will see you next week. 